One of my all-time favorite books is A.A. Milne's Winnie the Pooh. Love Winnie the Pooh. Many of my friends are aware of my love for Edward Bear, known to his friends as Winnie the Pooh. Um, over the years, they have given me a number of copies of Winnie the Pooh. In fact, I have copies, a bunch of English copies, and I have one in Russian. I even have one somebody gave me in Latin. Yes, Winnie il Pooh. Uh, very famous book in Latin. So it may prove as no surprise, knowing I love Pooh Bear, it may not surprise you that when I got to today's text in the Sermon on the Mount, which concerns a narrow gate and a tight squeeze, I immediately thought of chapter two, when Pooh cannot fit through the gate of the doorway at Rabbit's house. Just in case you are not a huge fan of Pooh and horribly have been so deprived as to not know chapter two of Winnie the Pooh, here is the brilliant Disney rendition. Take a look and listen. Deep in the Hundred Acre Wood, Christopher Robin and his friends have had many wonderful adventures. And if I'm correct, I believe we have just enough time to see one. On this fine day, Winnie the Pooh was invited over to his friend Rabbit's house for a bit of lunch. Being served his most favorite of foods, Pooh happily sat down to eat. And he ate and 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 ate. Until at last, he said to Rabbit in a rather sticky voice, I must be going now. Goodbye, Rabbit. Oh, 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 help and bother. He can't fit through the narrow opening, but it's the only way to get out. With that in mind, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Let's hear Jesus speak. Matthew chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 13. Enter through, says the Lord, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate, and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. As we say in our worship guide, uh, you got a worship guide when you, when you came in. Open that up as we say in the notes there. Verses 13 and 14 describe the narrow gate. Jesus exposes the traumatic truth that very few people find the way that leads to life. By context from the sermon, gate here uh, appears to be describing justification, the, the idea of a person being made right before God, the impossible, amazing thing of a human being right before God. It's what, it's what Jesus elsewhere in Matthew calls entering the kingdom of heaven or entering the kingdom of God. Uh, take a look, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said to his disciples, I assure you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is, is showing here, he's describing the fact that most people settle for easy roads and, and broader natural courses. They are so full of things that they can't fit through God's narrow gate. Speaking of context, I want to introduce you to my friend, Dr. Tom Seams. Uh, Tom enjoys memorizing scripture. And when I told Tom that I was going to teach the Sermon on the Mount, he mentioned, hey, I might memorize that. That would be fun. And I said, do it. I challenged him to memorize it, and he has. So I wanted him to give us a context on this narrow gate by reciting from memory the entire Sermon on the Mount. Please welcome Dr. Tom Seams. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people persecute you, insult you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For I tell you, in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Till heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not commit murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, will be answerable to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift there at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny.
You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't swear by your own head, because you can't make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. Don't resist him at all. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone wants to sue you and take your, your tunic, give him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go with him one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll receive no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. Tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, again, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, don't disfigure your faces and, and look all somber like the hypocrites do. They love to do this and be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the fields grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the earth, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom 
in His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. In the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the while there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrites! First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For whoever asks, receives. He who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious, ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall down because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And that's where Jesus drops the mic and walks away from his people. Brilliant work. That's right. Perfect. That was it. Thank you. heavy stuff. It's real stuff. And Jesus isn't playing around as he lays out this ethic. And I thought it was important to have that tone in our minds as we approach the narrow gate. Now, look at the reaction when Jesus gave that sermon the first time when he gave it. Here's what followed immediately after Jesus dropping the mic. This is what follows. When Jesus had finished this sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. Here's an example of Jesus, how he teaches with different authority. Look at the word broad back in verse 13 that we just read earlier. The Greek text has this term, platus. Platus is a, a, a very rarely used word, and it is quite specific. Platus is an, it's an engineering term. It's an engineering term for something that is really spacious from side to side, like Pooh Bear after he eats all the honey. Um, seriously, platus means wide. It means well-traveled. This word was very often used outside the Bible of a highway, but there's even more going on here. This is really cool. Get this. In Athens, okay, which was considered the greatest center of thought life in the world, in Athens they used platus fairly often, but they didn't just use it to describe their broad streets. I don't know. In Athens, they used Platus as a euphemism for their great learning, for their rhetoric, for their sophistry, for their philosophy. Jesus seems to be taking a shot here at Greek philosophy. And by the way, that shouldn't surprise us. Already in the sermon, Jesus has offended and exposed Jewish legalists and Roman rule. The only major Mediterranean culture left to offend is Greek thought, right? So it's very probable he's jabbing Athens here. Have you ever noticed that unlike people, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender? Have you ever noticed that? Always, there is no one who is ever exempt from the conviction of his word. Another authoritative term the Spirit of God guides Matthew to report is apolia. Apolia, what we translate destruction. Um, th this is really a significant debate in theological circles. I do not, let me explain. No, take too long. Let me sum up. I don't have time to go into it. Let me just tell you it can mean four things. Okay, four things. Number one, it can mean perishing, like, like death on a battlefield. Oh! Polonius, I am slain. Uh, number two, it can be a loss, like, oh, I, I lost my wallet, and, and that is Apolia. Three is destruction, so serious that rebuilding is just impossible, and four is being lost, or sometimes it's used in this sense of the moment where you realize that you are hopelessly lost, like your husband on spring break trips. So, uh, <clears throat> so that's it. That fourth possibility is almost certainly what Jesus and Matthew intend here. The way to being hopelessly lost, like, like the Greek sophists in Athens, the way to being hopelessly lost is broad. 
You see, whenever this construction is used the way it is grammatically here, every other Greek manuscript, inside and outside the Bible, translates apolia as number four, as being lost. So Matthew 7 is declaring that the way is broad to being lost. By contrast, the gate is narrow that leads to life. Now, gate here implies something through which one passes, right? So look at this parallel passage. Messiah Jesus declares the same truth over in the Gospel of John. John 14, verse 6. You take the underlined text. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And how does one enter through Jesus? How does one come to know the Father by entering through the gate that is Jesus? It's by faith. John chapter 3, verse 18. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Jesus says, says that faith in him is the gateway to the road less traveled, and that's what makes all the difference. Very few find justification by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. Why is that? Why so few? Because the cross is an offense. From Moses writing forward, folks, the cross is known to be a scandal. And, and this, is where, this is where people get stuck, admitting that, that I can't save myself. We get stuck admitting that I need a Savior to purchase salvation for me. You see, when Jesus offers life through faith in Him, people get stuck because humans are so full of ourselves we cannot fit through the narrow opening of grace. Look, just consider the worldviews that you just heard. When, when Dr. Seams was going over the, the Sermon on the Mount, you probably noticed hearing it that way instead of reading and studying it, it becomes more evident that Jesus is talking about different worldviews. A number of times he picked on Pharisaic Judaism, right? You have heard it was said, right? Well, what's the deal in Pharisaic Judaism? The idea is you earn your justification by your works, right? That's what the Pharisees taught. And then he said so many times he was talking about the pagans. Even the pagans do that, right? What's paganism all about? It's all about following the right formula so that you can earn your salvation. And every religion since is the same. Any worldview you have ever bumped into, studied, or made up on your own has this as its foundation. You must do the proper things in order to earn your salvation. But what Jesus offers is radically different. He offers a biblical covenant where justification is by God's grace. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. And the difficult way that comes after you pass through that gate is also very different. <clears throat> Look at your text, it can be really rough, like an unpopular road. You see, in the first century, there was a massive difference between their, their broad marble highways, which are still beautiful to this day, and very easy to travel on, and the rough tracks that, that were what they called roads that were the smaller byways. Following Jesus, after you trust Him, following Jesus can lead to some really rough tracks, but it is worth it to be found and to be alive with God. Amen? In summary, here's Jesus' comparison to the two ways, okay? One way is wide and easy and popular, and it leads to being ultimately lost. The other is narrow and difficult and unpopular, but it's all ultimately living.
Now, having made his point about finding life through Jesus alone, the narrow gate of trusting Jesus alone, the Messiah now expands on that difficult road. He warns Christians about problems that are going to arise in your life on the road on the other side of the narrow gate. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. On the right side of your notes, we pick up Jesus' picture of wolves in sheep's clothing. And Jesus says, beware, beware. And of course, that reminded me of another Pooh story. Beware. They're black. They're out. They're out. They're, out. They're, in. They're out. They're all about. They're far. They're near. They're gone. They're here. They're quick and slick. They're insincere. Beware, 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 beware. Heffalumps and woozles. Be very wary, bear. Beware is a call to action and alertness. And of course, the image Jesus used here is, is burned into civilized thought. I mean, beware the wolf in sheep's clothing. But it's such an absurdly funny idea. This is not something wolves do. Okay? Wolves and coyotes attack joggers in Frisco, Texas. That's what they do. They don't wear sheep clothes. And yet it's a really chilling idea because human wolves do indeed do this. There are predators who desire, there are predators who desire to lead people away from Jesus and from Scripture. They pretend to be among the flock of God just so they can harm Christians. It's very ugly and very real. So in response, of course, each of us in our piglet imitation are asking, how can you spot the wolves? Great question, piglet. Jesus answers, look at verse 16. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Metaphor shift. The Lord says, look at the false prophet's fruit. Matthew records a fascinating choice of words that Jesus used here. These words harken back to Genesis chapter 3 and the effects of sin. The very first moment of the curse of sin involved thorns and thistles. You see, in the fallen Garden of Eden, God told humans, you're still going to oversee the earth. You're still going to fill the earth and subdue it. You're still going to be productive, but your productivity now is always going to be hampered by sin. And he came up with a really cool poetic way to represent that, thorns and thistles. That's exactly what God said in the garden as they were being ushered out of the garden. Jesus surely uses that reference on purpose. Now, now think, look at what he's saying. He's saying false teachers produce what is natural now in a fallen world. Well, they may have big followings. They may be very popular. But what they do is they just make their followers more like fallen humans. By contrast, those who follow Jesus become more like Him. Jesus speaks in a chiasm here, just to emphasize the point. Um, a, a chiasm is a really fancy way of speaking where there are layers of truth that are parallel to each other. Hebrews love this stuff. They love this stuff the way some of you guys love puns. Uh, they, they just uh, really adored this. So take a look at the chiasm here. Here's how it flows. You've got, you've got two thoughts parallel, uh, almost exact verbiage parallel. We'll call them A and A prime. You'll recognize them by their fruit, you'll, so you'll recognize them by their fruit, Right? And then the next step in the B level in is built on the agricultural idea that thorns and thistles have got to be cleared out 
for there to be productivity. So you've got our grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles, be prime. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Humans always try to eliminate thorns and thistles so their fields can be fertile. The clear implication is you've got to clear out the false teachers. This is a major task that is given to elders and pastors. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it to the elders. He was talking to the elders at Ephesus. He says this, Acts chapter 20, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I don't think D.A. Carson is right in every part of his writing about Matthew 7, but man, he is brilliant regarding the part B of this chiasm. I like this quote so much I put it in your notes. Uh, D.A. Carson says this, This is a day when pluralism is popular. However, although everyone may have the right to his own opinion, it does not follow that every opinion is right. To some it will appear terribly intolerant to even speak of false prophets. Yet that is Jesus' designation of would-be spokesmen for God who do not teach what Jesus himself teaches. Not only their destiny, but ours, yours and mine, are at risk if we fail to identify and avoid false prophets. Close quote. And that takes us to see the middle part of the chiasm. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. The idea is covered from both sides. Why? Well, partly this is Hebraic repetition. The Hebrews loved parallels. They loved repetition. But mainly this statement is a bridge to get us from verse 13, the narrow gate, into the very last point of the section. It flows like this. Take a look. You enter through the narrow gate. Good comes from good, but some, get this, some try to follow who never really went through the gate. And that's the point in 21 through 23. Listen to Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. You see, after verse 20, the believer in Jesus, the disciple of Jesus, sits back and smugly thinks, we got this. We know how to tell the sheep from the goats, the figs from the thorns, the Christians from the wide gate lost people, right? Not so fast. Jesus adds a counterpoint about fruit inspection. There are those who follow that don't believe. There are those who follow who don't believe. Look, later in the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be introduced to a tragedy, the tragedy of believers in Christ who don't follow Him. And that is horrible. That is rightly attacked by lots of modern preachers. But that is not the primary problem to Jesus. He is concerned about that, but he is first of all concerned that we look out for and correct followers of Jesus who don't believe on him. Look, look at their fruit here. It's good. This is truly good fruit. All these powerful things done in Jesus' name, they're positive. I mean, at worst, they're flamboyant, but they're certainly not bad. These people recognize who Jesus is. They follow him. They accept his lordship, but they didn't do God's will. Which, of course, leads to you and me asking in our Pooh Bear imitation, um, Christopher Robin, are you saying it's against God's will to heal, do miracles, and prophesy? Great question, Pooh Bear. No, those things are fine, but they're secondary. They are secondary. This is the will of God, to trust the Messiah 
whom he has sent. God's will is that a person believe in Jesus as Savior. Look up here, John chapter 6, verse 40. Let's read it all together. This is indeed the will of my Father, that all who see the Son and believe in him may have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Amen. On the day of judgment, everyone is going to see the primary will of God. The first and most important thing is to trust Jesus. It is possible to do miracles in Jesus' name and not be a Christian. A person can even follow Jesus, recognize his lordship, and still never believe in the Son of God for salvation. God's will is for people to believe Messiah Jesus. Those who do will be raised up and enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who don't remain lost. So let's ask ourselves some application questions. First one, am I a believer in Jesus? Ask yourself that. Nothing matters more. Going to church will not get me into heaven. I cannot be good enough for that perfect kingdom because we are all breakers of God's law. My only hope is in Jesus. I must confess that I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. I must go through the narrow gate of receiving what Messiah did for my sin, dying on the cross for me, and raising from the dead to offer me eternal life. Look how John poetically summarized all this. John chapter 1, But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Since we're looking at chiasms today, look at this one. This is really cool. The central idea, the main point, the thing in the very middle, is that he gave them the right to be children of God. Isn't that awesome? Remember what Jesus said about the ones who, who were followers that never believed? He, he said, I never knew you. Well, it doesn't get any more known than being family, right? The, those who trust in Jesus get to be very children of God. And how does that happen? How does that come about? Look at the outer layers of the chiasm. Receive him. Believe in his name. It's right there. That's our question. Have I received him? Do I believe in Jesus? Second question, am I alert for false teaching? I need to be. Now, I don't need to live in fear, right? But I do need to exercise power and love and discipline. We must obey Jesus who tells us to beware of false teaching. There are certain disciplines that will really help. Let me just mention two. First, read Scripture. Read Scripture. Nothing else builds a strong theological soul like continually studying the very Word of God. Secondly, learn theology. That's what prepares the mind for this battle against falsehood. Theology is not boring. It's fascinating. Study it. That's why, that's why Ron Rhodes, Dr. Ron Rhodes, before he retired and had to move away, he wrote this book, The Big Book of Bible Answers, and he dedicated it to you. That book's dedicated to the congregation at Frisco Bible Church because Ron appreciated there were so many of you here who worked to keep theologically sharp. Let's keep that up. Final question. Am I diligent to keep sharing the good news of Jesus? Do I care enough to help someone get through the narrow gate? Do I love people fully enough to overcome my cultural fear and share the truth that the only way out, the only way out of this tight place is through Jesus? Christopher Robin does that. Did you know that? That's what, that's what he did. Story time. Story time. Here we go. Chapter 2. This is how it ends. Chapter 2 of Winnie the Pooh. Bear began to sigh and then found he couldn't because he was so tightly stuck. And a tear rolled down his eye as he said, Then would you read a sustaining book such as would help and comfort a wedged bear in great tightness? 
So for a week, Christopher Robin read that sort of book at the north end of Pooh, and Rabbit hung his washing on the south end. And in between, Bear felt himself getting slenderer and slenderer. And at the end of the week, Christopher Robin said, now. So he took hold of Pooh's front paws, and Rabbit took hold of Christopher Robin, and all Rabbit's friends and relations took hold of Rabbit, and they all pulled together. And for a long time, Pooh only said, ow, and oh. And then all of a sudden, he said, pop, just as if a cork were coming out of a bottle. And Christopher Robin and Rabbit and all Rabbit's friends and relations went head over heels backwards, and on top of them came Winnie the Pooh, free. Now, of course, that story isn't Scripture. We cannot force anyone through the narrow gate, and we shouldn't try. God elects, and human beings respond to Him. Sadly, most will take the broad way, and they will ignore the narrow way of faith in Jesus. But here's what we can do. We can sit with people we love, and we can share with them the only truly great sustaining book, right? And we can commit to do everything we can to help the people around us get free. Amen? Pray with me, please. Father, I pray, I pray for those who are not believers in Jesus here that are studying with me today, wherever they may be. I ask you to draw them to you right now and bring them to faith in Jesus. Let them trust Jesus as Savior. And I pray for all of us who are Christians that we will keep sharing the good news of Jesus because it's the only way out. In Jesus' name.